Good evening, church. God is able, amen? Amen. Let's pray before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you've given us all everything that pertains to life and godliness. Father, you've given us of your spirit and you've given us of your word that through your word we, we may be partakers, Lord, of your divine nature. I pray tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would just uh, be welcome in this place. I pray that you would just open our minds to receive, that you would give us understanding to understand your word and your truth, and that you give us courage to apply your words in times of trials, in times of fear, and in times of discouragement. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 22 through 31. And tonight I I want to share with you some encouragement about overcoming fear and overcoming discouragement. As you're turning there, the narrative of, of the chapter, we find our Lord Jesus had just performed a great miracle. He had fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fishes. And right after this great miracle, this is where we pick up our text in verse 22. And I'm reading from that New Living Translation. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and across to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called them, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? The Sea of Galilee, actually it's a lake, about 13 miles long, about seven and a half miles at its widest points, and by all accounts it's a small lake. But when the the winds from the Golan Heights come from every direction, that lake can become literally a blender. And it, it, large, large waves are generated, large swells. Peter and his disciples, they were caught in a very serious storm. They knew they were in trouble, which should have taken maybe a 60-minute cruise across to the other side. It was a, night, a, a whole night-long battle for them. Nine straight hours of just battling in the storm. The storm left the disciples in the middle of the sea. And we're told that they were tossed by the waves and they were terrified. Perhaps tonight, how do I bring this story home? Perhaps tonight, you find yourself in a typical scenario 
situation or stage in your life. You are in the middle of, of a financial storm, a financial difficulty, and you're tossed about by mounting debt. Perhaps you find yourself in the middle of a, 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 your marriage is in trouble, a divorce, and you find yourself tossed about by guilt, by a broken heart. Perhaps you find yourself in the middle of a health or, or illness, a health crisis. And that could be very terrifying. I know, I've been through that. Or maybe the, the, the illness of a loved one. And it could be very scary, very terrifying. You really don't know what the outcome is going to be. The disciples found themselves for nine straight hours in the middle of a, a, a terrifying storm. And just imagine, I don't know if you've been fishing, but I have, and I got really seasick, and the skipper would say, oh, you know what, just look at the horizon. Don't worry about the huge swells, look at the horizon. Well, I did. Well, just imagine these disciples. They're terrified already, and they're looking towards the horizon. What did they see? A ghost on top of that, right? And so they cried out, it's a ghost. But in actuality, it was our Lord Jesus. You see, they didn't expect Jesus to come to them in this way. And I think neither do we. We um, expect to find Jesus like in this peaceful setting in our service tonight. We, we expect to find Jesus in our morning devotions or perhaps in our quiet times. But we never expect to find Jesus in a financial crisis and a health crisis and a trauma but, and we never see Jesus really in a storm. We, we don't look for him in the storm. But it is in the storms that he does his finest work. And you know why? Because he has our undivided attention. Do you feel like Peter tonight? I want to ask and be honest. Do you feel like Peter tonight? Maybe there are some of you that are living in fear or in discouragement due to a, a heavy, difficult situation, a storm that you're, you're in right now. If that's you, the words I'm going to share with you tonight, it's, it's for you. There's four things that we can learn from this passage here in Matthew. The first one, don't fear because God is near. I want you to pay attention to how Jesus responded to the disciples' fear and discouragement and hopelessness and how he responds to you and I with a word of encouragement and hope. Look at verse 27. He says, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Power and hope, I believe, inhabits those words. And I know this firsthand. When this year, we almost lost our oldest son, Christopher, in a serious surfing accident. I believe it was Mother's Day weekend. And we received a call that our son Chris was involved in a serious surfing accident in Oceanside, and they had to life flight him to the La Jolla Scripps Trauma Center. We didn't know if he was going to make it, if he was going to be paralyzed. We didn't know if he would make it out of surgery. You see, he had severed his C1, C2, C3 vertebrae. He fractured his T7. He had four broken ribs. 
and his carotid artery from his heart to his brain had collapsed. The neurosurgeon pretty much told me in the trauma uh, area that Christopher literally had decapitated himself and the only thing holding his head were his two ligaments in his uh, spinal cord. The enemy, you can imagine, tried to, through fear and discouragement, to terrify us, my wife and I, to discourage us and, and to basically steal any hope we had. But that is when I heard the Lord speak to me the same scourge, uh, encouraging words that, that have so much power. He said, Fear not, Oscar, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you together with my right hand. I heard those words, and, you know, it just brought so much strength. And to hear those words, if you're in in an ICU ward, in a trauma center, and to hear those words of a loved one, don't be afraid. I am here. Take courage. It, It just makes such a difference. When you lose your job or your finances, and yet you feel the support of your family or your brothers and sisters in Christ with the words, we are here. We are here for you. When you're experiencing a broken heart, and you hear the words, I am here for you, it's going to be okay. What a difference it makes. I remember my boys, I have three sons. When they were little, we lived at soccer games, and we would sit on the side of the fields, and they knew, they knew where to look for mom and dad. We are here. That made a big difference to them. Perhaps that is why God repeats the don't be afraid or fear not, I am here, pledge so often. I listed a few verses so you can think on these things. Genesis twenty six twenty four, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10, I just quoted, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am, I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Matthew 28.18 and 20, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Just think about this last passage. All power and authority has been given to Jesus And he is with me always. He is with you always. Church, listen, we cannot go where God is not. Do you understand that? We cannot go where God is not. David in Psalms 139 testified to this. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I go from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, like my son Christopher did in Oceanside, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So don't fear. God is near. He is near all the time and in every situation to help you. Point number two, 
Prayer defeats our fears. At the beginning of every act of faith, there is often a seed of fear. And that is fine. But we cannot give into our fear and discouragement. We cannot um, let that just take over us. We need to, like Peter, step out of the boat of fear, out of the boat of hopelessness, out of the boat of discouragement, and into the presence of the Lord. And we do this through prayer. Often, faith, it's the child of fear. Faith is birthed out of fear. I think that Peter would have never requested to step out of the boat if the sea was calm. Had Christ strolled across the the, the lake when it was smooth as glass, I think Peter would have said, oh, great job, Lord, that's awesome. But I don't think he would have said, Lord, can I just step out of the boat and walk with you? You see, great acts of faith, spiritual growth, and the building up of a Christian character are seldom born out of calm situations. And there are many examples in the scriptures to prove this truth. I'll give you some. It wasn't logic that caused Moses to raise his staff on the banks of the Red Sea when he was being pursued by the Egyptian army. It wasn't medical research that convinced Nahum to go dip seven times in the river to cleanse his leprosy. And it wasn't a confident group of Christians that prayed in Jerusalem in a small upper room for Peter's release from prison. I think that in all of these cases, to be honest, it was a fearful, desperate band of back-in-the-corner believers. And it was a church with no options and a congregation of have-nots pleading for help. And listen, church, never were they stronger than in their times of difficulty. Never were they stronger until they confessed their weakness and fear through prayer. You see, most of the time, storms will prompt us to take unprecedented journeys. And storms, most of the times, will prompt us to step out of the boat and to leave our comfort zone and to confess our inability to deal with situations and to step out in faith. So the question is, what do I do? What do you do when I'm in the midst of a storm and I am fearful, I'm disoriented, I'm discouraged? What do I do? We need to look at our best example, our Lord Jesus, our high priest, our great high priest. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the writer to the Hebrews reveals to us that Christ, our great high priest, has gone through every type of trial and every type of difficulty and has faced every type of fear that enables him to understand our suffering and enables him to understand our feelings when we come To him. The Gospel of Mark gives us a great picture, an illustration of the fear that our Lord Jesus faced in the Garden of Gethsemane and at Golgotha. I'm reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. 
And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour may pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You see, church, it was here in the midst of the garden that we find Jesus, as described by the words of Mark, troubled and deeply distressed. And, and these words could also describe Jesus as a, a paled-faced man, trembling. Other translations describe this as horror came over him. And the word horror here describes of a, a person that's rendered helpless, disoriented, who is agitated and anguished by the threat of some approaching event. Do you feel like that during times of difficulty? I did. Do you feel like that tonight? We never seen Christ like this, not in this Galilean storm that we just read in Matthew 14. God had become flesh, and flesh now was feeling fear. Why? What was Christ afraid of? I think it had something to do with the cup. You see, the cup in biblical terminologies is <clears throat> not so much a utensil, but it's, it talks about God's judgment. It talks about God's wrath. And, um, and Christ felt that wrath. He was afraid of God's wrath. Jesus' worst case scenario was to be the recipient of God's wrath. You see, he'd never felt God's wrath before. He'd never experienced isolation from the Father. He'd never experienced physical death. But yet, in a few short hours, he would experience all of these things. God would unleash his sin-hating wrath on his sinless son, and Jesus was afraid. He was deadly afraid. And what Jesus did with his fear shows us what we need to do with our fear. In Matthew 26, Matthew describes the same account, but he gives us a little twist. And he said that the Lord prayed and told his followers, sit here while I go there and pray. Sit here and pray. And he says, Matthew says that one prayer was inadequate. And so he prayed a second time repeating the same words. And then he says that he fell on his face and prayed the third time. And then he came back to the disciples and told them, stay awake and pray for strength, he urged them. So how did Jesus defeat his fear? Jesus faced his ultimate fear with an honest, simple prayer. When in the storm, the first thing you and I need to do is to go to God in prayer. Even if you're so disoriented by fear and stress that you can't even formulate a prayer, the only thing you can do is say, God, help me. That's good enough. God knows that I couldn't even put two words together when I faced my son's accident. The second thing I did was text the church and call the church for prayer and intercession. Just like the Lord said to his disciples, back me up in prayer. Stay awake, watch and pray. We need to do the same thing. And it was your prayers that disrobed my fears. I just remember I was so disoriented. 
and felt so fearful regarding my son's accident that I couldn't even pray. But God understands that. Christ's prayer was a child's prayer. All he said was, take this cup away. Nothing deep. Take this cup away. And prayer is simple. You can cry out and say, Father, take this cup of disease. Father, take this cup of betrayal. Father, take this cup of joblessness. Father, take this cup of illness and this cup of disease. Prayer will disrobe your fears. Prayer will disarm your fears. So if you feel discouraged tonight, pray. The Lord said, men are always to pray and not to faint. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and, and of a sound mind. And because he also commands us not to fear and is saying, fear not, take courage, I am here. We, as Christians, we need to be doers of his word and we need to act on his commands, which leads me to the third point. This is something I learned from Pastor John Corson a long time ago. That God's commandments are also God's enablements. Repeat that out loud. God's commandments are also God's enablements. Peter took our Lord Jesus at his word and he began to walk on water. You see, God's command enabled Peter to defy gravity and to walk on water. Peter, to much to his credit, he took Jesus at his words. Our text says, Then Peter called them, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat He acted on the word, right? And walked on water towards Jesus. When we met our oldest son at Scripps Trauma Center and we realized the seriousness and the severity of his injuries, we were fearful of the outcome. And until, really, until we took God at his word. I remember sitting down in my family room the first two nights and just praying and in a sphere would just try to just overwhelm me I started quoting God's word out loud as fear came I might have sound crazy to my neighbors but I started quoting the word out loud literally until I fell asleep and I remember fear left with its terror I woke up the next morning and my wife can tell you we both had Such a peace. We even had a smile. We were looking forward to going to the hospital. You know why? Because we took God at his word. And we had a peace that passed all understanding. God was in charge of this situation. God did perform a great miracle on my son. He wasn't supposed to walk, yet he walked two days after surgery. And the doctors to this day... They know it's a miracle. They can't explain it. We took God at his word. He told us not to fear. He told us to stop fearing, and we did. God's commandments are also God's enablements. Remember that. God is not in heaven right now, you guys, pacing his throne room, grabbing his head, going, oh, I am worried about Jim's illness. Oh, I am worried about Joe's finances. He is not doing that. God is sitting on his throne, resting. You know why? 
because he's got everything under control. And he wants you to trust him and to take him at his word. It is a very commandment that God uses to enable you and I to stop fearing and to take courage and to trust him. That brings me to my final point. Where to stare in the storm. Our text says that when he, Peter, saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Peter began to walk on water, and that is true, until he shifted his attention from Jesus towards a squall and towards the waves. And you give more attention to the storm waters than the storm walker, and you get ready to do the same. You're going to sink in discouragement and hope. Whether or not storms come, we cannot choose, but where we stare during a storm, that we can. When you're going through a tough trial, and when you're overwhelmed with a heavy burden, and you have no idea what the outcome is going to be, you need to focus on the things that you know, the things that you are certain of about God, not the things that you don't know. A good example of this um, I first want to quote Hebrews 2, 1, because that really assures the point. It says, therefore, we must give heed to the, most, er, heed to the, th- um, to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. During the storm, we focus on things that we know and are certain of. God's character. What God is like. When John the Baptist was put into prison, and he was so discouraged... He began to sink in hopelessness and fear, and he sent his disciples to inquire of of Jesus. And in Luke 7, it says here that John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? At that time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. And then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hears, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. Focusing on what you know about God instead of what you don't know about the situation you're in, that is the key. One last example. Jeremiah. Jeremiah knew this very well. He knew trials. He knew suffering. Many of you Bible students, you know Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. And if you do a few little, any reading through Lamentations, you would get an idea of why he was called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was so discouraged so fearful and hopeless. We are told in Lamentations 3 that Jerusalem was under siege. Jeremiah's nation was under duress. His world was collapsing all around him. He was emotionally distressed. He complained about his physical sickness. He described how his body was sick, his flesh was wasting away, and his bones were broken. He said his body ached, his heart was sick, His faith was puny. 
Jeremiah felt trapped as it seemed with no way out. Jeremiah could tell you in his own way the height of the waves, the speed of the wind. But when he realized how fast he was sinking in fear and hopelessness and despair, he shifted his gaze. The press Nehemiah, uh, Jeremiah altered his thoughts and shifted his attention. He turned his eyes away from the waves and away from the winds and looked into the wonder of God. He quickly recited five of God's promises. In Lamentations 3, verses 21 through 24, Jeremiah says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What did he focus on? He said, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Jeremiah changed his focus to the things he knew and was certain of. Jeremiah did not know what was going to happen to Jerusalem or how long his trial would last. He did not know um, he did not focus on what he did not know, but instead of he focused on what he was knew, he knew and he was certain of. Jeremiah was certain of God's character. He was certain of God's thoughts towards his people. And he quoted five of God's promises. And church, that is why it is so important to memorize God's word, to put it in your heart, because you will never know when you will not have a Bible near you in times of difficulties, in times of fear, in times of stress. You need to memorize the word. And so here, Jeremiah quotes Five things he knew about the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He knew about God. His mercies never come to an end. He knew he could have a fresh start tomorrow morning, that it would be a new day. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, he says about God. God never fails. He's with me all the time. The Lord is my portion. He's going to be my helper, my strength, my everything. I will have hope again. In conclusion here, in the book of Numbers, I was just going through my Bible, and I read in chapter 15 how God had commanded the Israelites to build some tassels uh, or fringes, sew some fringes to the bottom of their hems on their garments. And these tassels or fringes, he had them sew those things there because they would, as they would look down to these things flapping, it would remind them of God's promises and of God's word, of God's commands. And I am sure that Jeremiah, as he's walking down with his head down, just looking, he looks at his tassels, at, these, at his garments, and he sees these things, and he's reminded of God's word. He's reminded of God's character. He's reminded of God's promises. And I was sitting in my family room thinking, wow, that's pretty, pretty awesome. And the Lord says, well, you know what? I've given you 10 natural tassels that you can use to remind yourself of my words. So I said, wow, I didn't even, I didn't even think about that, right? But you know, how do I put this thing into practice? So I said, great, I will memorize some of my favorite scriptures. 
And every time I look at my hand, I'm just going to quote it out loud and remind. So tonight I want to do that with you guys. Do exactly what Jeremiah did. So out loud, using your fingers, if you can, let's shift our gaze to these things. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, my soul says. I will hope in him. In Jeremiah's case, you guys, the storm did not, did not cease, but his fears and discouragement did. Peter, his trials ended when he cried out and the Lord reached out and picked him up. God is in the business of renewing us, right? And he uses trials to do that. Storms are not optional. They will come. Trials are not optional. They will come. But fear and discouragement are optional. So you don't have to fear and you don't have to be discouraged. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Thank you, Lord God, that um, you're with us always. We can never leave your presence. You've given us your Holy Spirit to abide in us. And Lord, you go before us, you precede our steps, and you come behind us. You build a hedge around us. And Father, and and you've, you've given us your word and your commandments to enable us not to fear, to enable us to prosper, to have victory. So Father, tonight I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just... Um, Lord, just bring fruit from this truth and that you would give us courage to apply these truths and that, Father, that we would recognize uh, how powerful you are and the resources you've given us for life and godliness in Christ. I thank you, Holy Spirit, tonight for moving upon this body now as we just take thought of what we heard I pray, God, that you would move upon each one here. Father, I pray that if there's fears that need to be just disrobed, I pray that through prayer, through confession, through just leaning towards you, to just reaching out to you, that you would do do away with these fears. Father, thank you for doing a work tonight. Be glorified in everything we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.